wonderful. Yesterday, uh, we, my family woke up in Spartanburg because we had a wedding to attend. I was officiating in for my cousin in Greenville uh, yesterday evening. And it was my wife's birthday yesterday, so happy birthday to Rachel. And so, I, there you go. That's part of my gift to her because we had to go to a wedding to celebrate for her birthday. But uh, we did start off right with a wonderful home-cooked breakfast. I, my mother helped me, and uh, we had breakfast at her house. And then it was such a busy day. The clock started ticking. <clears throat> I felt overwhelmed. Actually, I felt like I was in a dream. Everything I needed to do, I couldn't get done to prepare for the wedding, to prepare for the sermon this morning, just all those things. And so here I find myself in this trial and I just have to admit to you, it put me in a foul mood. I was in a terrible mood. I was short with my children. And on my birthday, I was short with my wife, and, uh, which is a terrible thing. I've already apologized to her, but I thought if I do it right now, maybe she'll be more accepting. So, Rachel, I'm so sorry <laughs> for how short I was, I was with you yesterday. I was not fun to be around, I'm sure, during the middle of the day. But have you ever found yourself in the middle of a bad day or a frustrating situation and instead of persevering, you took it out on people? And it seems so easy to take it out on the people you care about most. Well, sometimes when I'm re really struggling with something, I am much more prone to fall for temptation. That's just how it works. Now, we may be prone to wander when tempted, but we can train to overcome the temptation to sin. So how do we prepare for that? How do we discipline ourselves? How do we train for that? We hit the gym. So last week I mentioned to you for the next few weeks, we are going to hit the gym. That's the J-I-M, the book of James. I'm calling it Gym Class 101. The first three chapters in the book of James. James is one of the most practical books in all of Scripture. The author is James. He's the half-brother of Jesus. He's known as uh, uh, James the Just. Some say the translation is better to be Jacob rather than James. He also has the nickname Camel Knees because he spends so much time on his knees in prayer. He was the leader of the Jerusalem church um, in the first century after the resurrection. In fact, a tradition began then. Uh, for many generations, the leader of the church in Jerusalem was a direct relative of Jesus, and that began with his half-brother James. Well, in the very first verse of the letter that James writes, he introduces himself to the readers, not as the brother of, G of Jesus, not as an apostle, but he says, I am a slave to God and a slave to my brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so his original readers were Christian Jews, and they were dispersed. They, had, they scattered into Judea and Samaria and they scattered into other parts of the Roman Empire because of the persecution that they were facing. So these are believers who are living in a very difficult era and they are facing all kinds of serious trials and tribulations. And they escaped the persecution as best they could by fleeing from Jerusalem. And the guiding principle in the first chapter of James is a right understanding of wisdom you need wisdom you ask God who gives it liberally and so he, how do we put that wisdom into practice Kurt Anderson explains right understanding means a life that puts faith and action together so rather than just giving you over a bunch of head knowledge James is equipping the believers <clears throat> with what is needed to put wisdom to work faith 
with action. That's James's goal here. So this morning we are going to address the key issue that we struggle with from one day to the next as Christians. And that struggle is with temptation. And so look with me. I'm going to be in the book of James, of course, first chapter. And I'm going to read to you verses 12 through 18. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he does not himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. So that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. James wants to encourage believers here who are facing trials. And he wants to save them from the greatest danger to their lives. Temptation and sin. So as you live out the Christian life, everyday living, you are going to face trials and you are going to face trouble. And all of a sudden that's going to lead you right up to temptation to sin. So the message from this passage of scripture today is that you can persevere in resisting temptation. So how do we do that? Well, I think that James in this passage gives us three different perspectives we can use to look at um, temptation. And we're going to look first at verse 12 where he gives, shares about this promised crown of life. Last week we opened gym class 101 by looking at verses 1 through 8. And in that passage of scripture, James presents the blessing that comes from trials. And he says it's this present perfecting of character. So I face trials, I persevere in those trials, and there in that moment God is maturing me. That's the blessing. I can consider it joy because I see he has a purpose in this trial that I face. And so James returns to this idea here in verse 12 of the blessing that comes along with perseverance. But he gives us a new motivation for enduring. He says in verse 12, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. He says, because once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. James is pointing us to something that lays into the future. It lays in the future. So It's not right here in this present moment. That's what the first part of James chapter 1 looks at. Right here in this moment I can have joy because God is shaping my character. But James here says, he points into the future, he says, because there's a crown of life. There's a future reward. So in 12 he gives us six phrases. Verse 12 he gives us six phrases we'll look at. First he says, blessed is a man. Now we really have to wrap our minds around that. Because we know what it's like to be in trials and troubles. And very rarely do we think, I'm blessed. In those moments we think, man, my life stinks. Or we think, how frustrating. And we say, poor me. But James here says, I can experience pure joy in those moments and see myself as blessed. This is not the cursed life. Following Jesus is the blessed life. So he says, blessed is a man who perseveres. So the blessing is not just in the fact that we have trials. 
He's not saying blessed because you have trials, but we have the blessing because in the midst of the trial, we continue trusting God. So you're able to obey even when life's not a bed of roses. You persevere because you are a servant of God. I'm here to do your bidding, Lord. And he says, who perseveres under trial. Of course, that refers back to verse 12, those trials of various, verse 2, those trials of various kinds. And this is where we have room for all of us in our own experiences. Because some of you walk in here this morning, you have very significant trials that you're facing. And you feel like what's being added to that is more serious trials. Some of you come in here this morning, and yours is just a mild, you know, frustration. But it feels like so big to you right now. Well, James is talking about all these trials of various kinds. So under trial, whatever they may be, and he says, for once he has been approved. So James is speaking of the believer who experiences the trials, who expresses patient endurance. And the result of that patient endurance is approval. That does not mean that we come through it faultless. We still make mistakes, right? That's not what it means whenever he says approval. It means that the person who faithfully endures what comes their way and still trusts God to bring them through will be viewed as an approved worker, an approved believer. And then he gives us this promise here. The person who perseveres under trial and is approved, he says, he will receive the crown of life. When you go through trials, very rarely do you feel like you've got something good. In fact, a lot of times you can feel all the loss that you have or all that you lack in the middle of your trial. Sometimes we go through trials and we're not just troubled, we also find ourselves with other problems, even to be impoverished. In fact, John writes to the church at Smyrna in Revelation 2, and in verse 9, he says to him, I know your tribulation and your poverty. They had both. You're being, going through trials, plus you're impoverished. You don't have access to, to anything. But right after that, he says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And you think, what are you talking about, John? I mean, they've got trials. They know what it's like to suffer. They've been in prison. They know what it's like to lack and to be in want. What do you mean they're rich? They're rich in experiences? I mean, what do you mean here? He says they're rich, and then in verse 10 he says, because they have that promise of the crown of life. So maybe looking with these eyes we are impoverished, but we're rich when we see with spiritual eyes. So James says of this crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. In other words, we're not having to buy raffle tickets and hope we get our number drawn. It's not a spin of the wheel. We don't just love God and hope we're the ones who pan out in the end. For those who love God, we are assured by God himself for a crown of life if we love him. So are you focused on that promise? Or are you focused on the situation you face right in front of you right now? I know it's easy to get distracted by our eyes. But what is it that God wants us to see? James is pointing into the future and he says, see, there's a crown of life laid up for you. So after looking at verse 12 and recognizing that we face a decision when we experience trials, the decision of will we faithfully endure or not, we receive a challenge and we decide what's important to us. James is pressing us as believers to weigh the idea of worth. Is it worth persevering? Is it worth enduring this trial? Because when you're going through the situation, some of you may feel this way. 
I just want to throw my, you know, throw in the towel. I'm done. So excited to have our college students back in town. I know a lot of freshmen are here, and you have moved into campus. I remember my freshman year moving in at Carolina. I lived in the Honeycomb Towers. Fortunately, none of you do because uh, they tore those down. But my freshman year, I remember going to my very first game as a student, my first football game as a student. We played Ball State. I had on Garnet Black. I was so excited, and we won. You know, now I came to Carolina as a, a, t a fan of the University of Tennessee. I, my first experience at williams Bryce Stadium, I wore orange and white. I hope y'all can forgive me. That was my first experience. So I go here, and now my first game, when they start playing 2001, all of a sudden those shackles start falling off, and I'm feeling myself converting to be a Carolina fan. And then we came back the next week, and we lost. And then the next week, and we lost. We lost the next 10 games. Now contrast that with University of Tennessee that year. They won 13 games and lost zero. Their last game was in Tempe, Arizona. They won the national championship. T. Martin took us there, Peerless Price, and we had the national championship. And I remember thinking that year, do I really want to persevere as a Carolina fan? <laughs> I have and will continue to persevere as a Carolina fan. And so the <laughs> listen, that's not spiritual. The difference, of course, in the Christian life is God has promised a crown of life. So I have a guarantee on that one for those who believe him and receive him. So what is of more of value than attaining the crown of life? Persevering in the Christian life is worth it. Because the crown of life is worth more than what you're struggling with right now. James is trying to help Christians who are suffering here to do the hard thing. Endure when you feel like throwing the towel in. He's pointing to the crown. He's saying it's worth it. So we must deliberately place greater value on the goal than what we're facing right now. And say it's worth it even if I have to endure a little bit of hardship. And he's dealing with reality here. Because we could be so sterile about it and be like, well, yeah, that's what I'll do. But this should bring to mind the very toughest of circumstances. Is Christ worth obeying even when your spouse has wreaked havoc on your marriage? Is Christ worth trusting even when your financial security is being robbed? Is Christ worth adoring even when your health is collapsing? Is Christ worth serving even as your loved one's life is cut short? When you are misunderstood, when you're maligned as a Christian, is Christ worth your devotion? Even when the foundations of your life are shaken, is it worth honoring the Lord with your life? Now the answer to that question is a resounding yes, yes, every time yes. Because we value the Lord, we value his kingdom, and we value the crown of life more than ease and comfort. So we consider trials as joy when they come. But what about when trials lead to temptation? James addresses this in verse 13 through 15. He speaks of temptation in verse 13. Trials can lead to temptation. Our difficult situations can provoke us to sin. I've already mentioned that. I know you've experienced the same thing. So in the midst of the trial, when you're tempted, James says, don't say, is God the one who's tempting me? Now that feels like a legitimate comment in some ways because when you're going through the trial you think, is God, 
testing me? Because we've already referenced that. And so sometimes you can easily go, or is God tempting me? But we have this great theology presented by James that God is not behind the temptation. Because God cannot be tempted by evil. Because God's very nature is holiness. It is righteousness. In 1 John 1, verse 5, it says, This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. No darkness. It's all light. There's no sin there. There's no spot. He's blameless. He doesn't have a flip side. He is 100% righteous. He maintains holiness in every given moment. So we can trust him there. His attribute of holiness and righteousness, it's definitive about him. He is holy. He is righteous. So because of his holy nature, God does not tempt anyone to sin. He has no desire to set you up to do evil. So if God's not tempting us, then who is? Well, the Gospels point out that Satan tempted Jesus. We know that Satan's demons, the minions, they tempt. That's what they do. But James doesn't focus on that. He actually leaves all of them out. And he says in verse 14, that each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. So we might expect the devil, like a roaring lion, to be dragging off unguarded believers into sin. But instead, James says, we drag ourselves out. We're our own cause of temptation, not something else. Not, you know, Satan, not the devil, no person, no demon. Now don't get me wrong here, they may be involved in that whole process. But James is placing attention on the desire that's in you. The desire that's in me. This longing, you know, the desire with us when it meets what it's interested in, there's this attraction and appeal for us. It's part of our nature as fallen humans. And James tells us of the danger that sin carries in verse 15, that when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. The result of sin is death. We think it's pleasure. We think it's harmless. We think it's no big deal, but it's death. Paul makes that clear to the Romans. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So the cost of sin is death. We all have a death sentence on us because we've all sinned. But James is writing to Christians here. People who have already believed and received the Lord Jesus into their life. So is he speaking of death to their relationship with God? Can sin separate them? Can sin break off that salvation? Well, not at all. George Tulak says that James is not telling genuine Christians that they may lose their salvation. He is warning that genuine salvation comes by repentance and faith. What we see in this verse is just how seriously James takes that idea of servants of the Lord, the servant-Lord relationship. We receive him, we believe him, and then we obey him. The problem is that we're tempted to sin. But to accept Jesus as Savior is to accept him as Savior from sin and so to turn from sin and follow him as Lord. So take the holiness of God seriously. Turn from sin, follow Christ. So while I'm experiencing trials of various kinds, it becomes my focus to feel like this is the worst thing in my life. To think, look at what, this is the worst thing that's happening is what people are doing to me. But James shifts the thinking here. 
The greatest danger to me is not the wrong done to me. It's the wrong being done by me. The greatest danger for me is not the wrong being done to me. It's the wrong being done by me. Last week we discovered in James 1.3 that the trials come, our lives can lead to a testing for the believer. You know, am I who I say I am? And that testing is an opportunity for the believer to persevere. And as we persevere and endure that testing, the result is maturity. In this passage, trials can also lead to temptation. And these temptations have the potential to lead us to sin. And sin results in death. And if there's a clear application in this passage, it's to receive God's free gift of salvation. We all come in here with sinful desires. Doesn't matter what you've done. We all have sinned. At the cross, it's level ground. Some aren't closer to Jesus than any other. We all come in here with sin. And every sin comes with the sentence of death. And God judges sin the same way every single time. Death. But God loves you so much, he made a way for you to experience forgiveness. And it's not by doing everything right. It's not trying to outweigh the bad with the good. It's not by just getting baptized. It's not by just attending church. It's not just by giving to the church or giving to the poor. The way that God provided was through his son, Jesus. He doesn't overlook our sin. He actually sentenced Jesus to die. Jesus died the death you deserve. And because of his death and resurrection, we can experience forgiveness and have eternal life with the Lord. So there's no more important response to any text in the scripture than believing and receiving him. No matter what you tell yourself or what the tempter whispers in your ear or what society says by being callous to unrighteousness, sin is always serious. It's never little. It's never harmless. It's never victimless. So temptation doesn't come from God. Verse 16 is a hinge that transitions the thought toward what does come from God. Verse 16 says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. James is saying, don't be deceived about the source of temptation. It's not God. It's that sinful desire that's within you. And at the same time, he's about to explain to us, do not be deceived about where the good things in your life come from. But you notice how he tenderly addresses his audience. He's speaking to you. He says, beloved brethren, he is genuinely concerned about the temptation that you face. And like a loving big brother, James wants you to see that it is worth it to persevere when you face temptation. It's worth it to resist. It's worth it to say, I'm going to hold on to that, the crown of life. Not only that, in verse 17, we have this idea that God sees us suffering through our trials and through our temptations. And what does he do? He gives good gifts. Even in the midst of my trial. And his act of giving is by his own volition. He's not manipulated into it. He's not impressed by you. He's not just saying, since you did that, I'll do this. God just gives because he's gracious. In fact, verse 17 says that God not only gives good gifts, or that some of the good gifts we receive come from him. He writes in James 1.17, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. So God is the source of anything in your life that's good. Every bit of it. Did you have a good day yesterday? Thank God. 
because he gave it to you? Do you enjoy a certain person? or God gave you every relationship you have. There's good gifts that he's given you. You have breath in your lungs. That's a good gift from God. Every good thing. And then the verse says it comes from above. That means the source is God. You know, I was thinking about this. When I go through trials or troubles, I tend to keep my, feet, uh, my eyes on the ground. It just, why does it do that? It naturally just pulls our disposition down. But every good gift comes from where? It comes from above. And so the idea is just look up. I'm going through trial, but look up because good gifts are coming my way from the Lord. Not temptation, but good gifts. So that's where our eyes should be. He writes about these good gifts. The last part of verse 17. Coming down from the Father of lights, and speaking of the sun or the stars, those things he's made, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. The imagery of the Father of lights connects to our understanding of God who is unchangeable. Just like we can rely on the cosmos, we can rely on God. There's no shadow of turning with him. The way we describe this as an attribute is the word immutability. <clears throat> he is unchanging, immutable. He hasn't tempted others. He's not going to start tempting today. He gives good gifts to those who go through trials. He's going to continue to do that day, to that today. And when you face trials, he is always a source of strength. He's not going to change. You can continue to cling to him. He is trustworthy. You can believe him. He will pour out mercy and grace as you need it. And in verse 18, James reminds us that God brought about our spiritual birth into God's family. He actually connects this to the picture of being as a kind of first fruits among his creatures. That reminds me that we do not stay the same. God changes us. And in times of trial and when facing temptation, we must envision God to be exactly who he is. He is the one who gives good gifts. So to fight against this belief that God is setting me up, that God's not allowing things to go the way I want him to, I must see God as the giver of all good things. Do you live life as one with gratitude? Is that regularly coming off of your tongue? Or do you take credit? Or do you forget? Or do you ignore? So rather than seeing God as the one setting tripwires to cause us to fall into sin, we recognize he's the one who always adds good things to our lives. So, James promises trials. They're coming. When trials come, we don't fall victim to temptation. We don't land in sin. Remember what God has promised us. Something that's worth more than the, what we, the way we prize ease and comfort. He's promised us a crown of life and we recognize that trials can be a time for testing. So we endure. And when it's tough, it's not worse than the sin that has the potential to come out of our hearts. That's the worst thing that can happen. So we resist the allure of sin. We see that God is blessing our lives with good and perfect gifts. The best gift God has to offer you is relationship with him. The free gift of salvation. If you've never responded to that, today's the day. Today's the day of salvation. Do not ignore that. For servants of God, J James demonstrates that as we face trials, we can respond in a couple different ways. We can either consider it joy, or we can respond to temptation and fall into sin. So, what's it going to be? For believers in Jesus, would you take up arms against temptation? I think John Bunyan said, who faced all kinds of trials, he said, when I'm tempted, I lift my eyes. May the same thing be said of us today.
Our Father and God, we thank you so much for the good gifts you give. We thank you so much for the promise of a crown of life for those who love you. We thank you so much for the salvation you offer to us by faith through grace. Lord, we pray now that you would work in our hearts. For those that need to respond, let today be the day. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. God's speaking to you this morning. Would you respond? Maybe it's for following in salvation. Maybe it's believer's baptism, joining the church, whatever it may be. If God's working in your heart, you respond. I'm going to be standing down front for the, with the staff. We'll be waiting for you. You stand as the choir sings. You respond.